Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast in the class today is dedicated in loving memory and Lilunishmat Yosef Ben Nazli Alava Shalom, sponsored by Sheba Urizade. Breakfast in the class is also dedicated for the Rifuash of Priscilla and Charles Sutton, Olisa Bat Hana, and Shaul Ben Adel, sponsored by Adel Sutton. And finally, breakfast in the class is dedicated in honor of Mr. Azur Haron. Rabbi Farhi, Rabbi Mizrahi, and Jessica, sponsored by the Defunus family. We are so grateful for the Safra Synagogue and all that you have done. Hazaku Baruch uh, to each and every one of you. Our parasha begins with the words, Vayeshev Yaakov. And Yaakov settles, Be'eretz Migure Aviv, in the land uh, that his fathers lived in. It's fascinating, I think, this uh, uh, entry point into the parasha and into the story of Yaakov Avinu, especially when given um, the, the, uh, the initial story of, of Abraham Avinu. Abraham, it starts off and tells us, Lech lecha me'artecha. So whilst Abraham, we're hearing about the fact that he becomes great because of his travels, over here we're seeing that Yaakov Avinu, he wants to, Vayeshev Yaakov Aviv. This is where he wants to settle. So what's fascinating to me about this is that there's a midrash that seems to ask us a very deep question. The Midrash says, we just got finished telling you about all of the kings that were going to come from Esav. And immediately afterwards, it tells you, Vayeshev Yaakov. Says the Midrash, To what can this be compared? To a person who's walking along and he sees on the road, there's a pack of wild dogs. And the dogs, they surround him. And the person realizes he's surrounded by these vicious dogs that are capable of tearing him to shreds. So what does he do? Yashav imahem. He sits down along with the dogs. One of the things that's important to know with uh, animals is that sometimes the best thing you could do for an animal, right, is not to stand up against it, but rather to make yourself be in a non-aggressive pose. The fact that the animal sees you in a certain way that means to the animal that you're going to attack it. So therefore, it feels the need to defend itself. But if you could make the animal realize that you don't mean any harm, right? So as an example, you lift your hand like this against the Rottweiler, it's going to it'll go, go for the jugular, right? On the other hand, if you put your hand, you give it the back of your hand, you know, or something like that. So an animal, I don't know if that's actually true. I have no experience in Rottweilers. Please take this with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, it's just an example. So the Midrash explains that Yaakov Avinu, when he saw all the kings of Esav that were coming, he understood Vayeshev um, Yaakov, that he sits down amongst them. And he, so to speak, takes it. He, uh, he lowers himself, if you will, to be in that scenario. And our rabbis see from here an unbelievable lesson. And it's a little bit nuanced. So hang in there. If you leave before the end, you're not going to get it. So if you got to go, no problem. Just watch the tape back until the end. Okay? I'm just uh, hedging my bets here. Um, the Imre Emet, the Gera Rebbe, used to teach a magnificent concept from this. And he said as follows. He says, there are times in a person's life when a person experiences some sort of hashkacha where things are really not going well. And the first thing you think of Whenever a person's in a difficult situation, is you think of, you know, you make your own luck. I gotta change my situation. I gotta change this, flip the script, change the narrative. Whatever's, whatever's happening to me is something that I need to take a hand in and change. 
And the Imre Emet expressed, he said, trying to change that situation sometimes is completely counterproductive. He says, could you imagine a woman who goes into a hospital and she has birth pangs, okay? She's screaming, she's yelling, she's this, she's that. Anyway, finally she could barely breathe. Ah, ah, call the doctor, call the doctor. Doctor comes in, she says, doc, I'm dying, it's killing me, my stomach, the pressure, I can't even breathe. You gotta, you gotta do me a favor, doctor. Change my room. The doctor says, shoot, change your room. That's the most Jewish thing in the world, by the way. We get to a hospital, we don't like this room. Get to a hotel, let me see the other rooms. Always, oh, Jewish people, we love, I think it's part of the fact that we are wandering, so we never like the place that we get. But either way, she's screaming on the top of her lungs. She says, doc, change my room. And the doctor says, why should I change your room? She says, I'm dying here. Mishane makom, mishane mazal. The doctor says, Mehila, Dibet. You know, I don't know what the terminology is for a woman. Dib is for a guy also, no? Dib and Dib? Okay, I thought I think they said I didn't know. Obviously, my Arabic is not uh, up to scratch. He says, Dib. The reason why you're having birth pangs is you're giving birth to a baby. Doesn't make a difference which room we put you in. If I moved you to another room and this and all of the pangs stopped, we would have a very serious problem on our hands. Right? You're trying to run away from pain that's actually a very important part of the process of giving birth. So sometimes when we see a tsara, a difficulty come to us, our gut reaction is to change it, to figure out how to solve it. But sometimes it's important not to solve it. Let's look at something that we see in our parasha. Vayeshev Yaakov. Yaakov, he sees suffering, he sees difficulty, gets himself comfortable. He shakes him, says, uh, his backside a little bit on the chair. He settles in, he doubles down. How does he do that? You, you know, it's counterintuitive. Rabotai, listen to this message because it's so beautiful. We find the brothers of Yosef, they see these dreams. Now they mistake his dreams and they think that his dreams are really, uh, you know, about the rulership and it's about ownership and it's about power. But actually, what are his dreams about? We know his dreams were nevoah. They figure we got to make sure that the nevuah doesn't happen. What happens? They stick him in a pit. They send him down to Egypt. Rabotai, they send him to the throne. I need you to understand this. They see something difficult coming their way. They do everything they can to get in the way of it. And, and all they wind up doing is actually bringing closer the thing of Ashkaha to actually happening, to actually happen. You imagine Yosef HaSadiq. Yosef HaSadiq, he's waiting for the dreams to come true. He's sitting in the house of Potiphera. He's a slave, but he doesn't realize he has never been closer to his dream than when he's a slave in the house of Paro. He's now in the right place. It's just not the right time. He's in the right place. It's just not the right time. Now what happens? He gets put in jail. What would you think? What would I think? Terrible. The worst. I got to get out. If Yosef had gotten out of jail, what would have happened? He never would have met the Sarah Mashkim. You understand the point here, Rabotai? Does everyone get this? It's the descension to being a, 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 an Eved, which brings him the ascension to being a king. It's being in the prison that gives him the hookup, the network, the, the connection to Paro himself when Paro has a dream. So often we're trying to run away from everything that we perceive as bad when actually sometimes we need to take a chill and actually say 
this is right where I'm supposed to be. This bad job or this difficult friendship or relationship. So normally the, uh, the concept that we grow, we grow up with is no, change your place. Normally we grow up, we have this idea. It says, Anna Hashem Hoshi'ana, right? And when it comes to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, um, to the uh, Halal, we say, please God, save us. But we also say, Anna Hashem Haslihana, right? We say both. But interestingly enough, when it comes to Sukkot, Rav Hutna pointed out that we only move the Lulav in every direction by Anna Hashem Hoshi'ana. How come not by Anna Hashem Haslihana? Said Rav Hutner, a beautiful and very deep insight. He said, when it comes to Hatzlacha, for Hatzlacha you don't move. You don't change your place. You don't move to another career. Take the kid out of school. Start a new relationship. You don't make moves for Hatzlacha. You make moves for Hoshiana. When you need to be saved. That's when you make a move. That's how Rabbi, uh, the Rebbe Hutner explained the shaking of the lulav to every direction in Oceania. So you see over here, when a person needs to be saved, they have to move. So how do we reconcile these two competing thoughts? And what is a person supposed to do when they find themselves in a situation which is very difficult and they would love for it to change? How do they know? Maybe God wants them right here. Or maybe Hashem is just waiting for them to make their hishtadlut, their effort, to get themselves out. How does one decide? There was once a man who came to the stipler and he told the stipler, he said, Rav Chaim Kanievsky's father, Rav, Yaakov, uh, Rav Yisrael Kanievsky. And he said to him, I don't know what to do. I have these very bad, this very bad neighbor in my building. I want to move. I want to get out. I want this. I want that. Anyway, the stipler said to him, listen, I don't think you should move. I think you should pray the situation should get better. Anyway, the guy gets home, da -da -da, loses his patience. He leaves the building. He comes back to the stipler a little while later and he says, Rabbi, please, I can't tell you. You know, you told me to, to pray. You told me to stay and pray, right? But instead, I, I, I couldn't handle, I left. But now I'm in a new building, Rabbi, and the, the neighbors are even worse than before. They're wicked. They're horrible. They're dishonest. Rabbi, you got to save me. He goes, and the stipler said to him, he said to him, listen to this. You're not being punished for the fact that you didn't listen to me. That's not what's happening here. You were supposed to be in that place. But the problem is that oftentimes, instead of seeing the person who sent the Sarah, we see only the Sarah. God wanted you to be there. And that's why he stuck you in that place. In order that you should ask yourself, what should I do? Do you think God sent you somewhere so that you should leave that somewhere? If leaving that somewhere is a step up for you in your avodah, in your connection with God, yes. But do you think God put you in a, in a business only in order for you to leave it? What would the hashkacha be there? How would you interpret that uh, message from God? What would be its point? So Rabotai, to be able to discern which is which, a person really needs to have uh, a da Torah, a tremendous rabbi, someone who they could talk these things through and try and ask to try and discern what God's message is. I want you to imagine, Rabotai, that you were uh, upstairs in your, uh, in your house and you found a very, very old uh, you know, envelope. 
It was mixed in with stuff that your grandfather brought over from Syria. Anyway, you're going through all this stuff. Most of it is just family trinkets, a little clothing here, a little bit of that, something. And then all of a sudden, as you're shaking, this envelope falls out. It looks very old. But the writing, the Hebrew writing, is a very ancient Hebrew writing. And it starts off, and you can barely discern the beginning. It says, Dear Farhi family. And the rest of it you can't read. You're thinking to yourself, Shema Israel. This is probably from my great-grandfather, a letter to our family. I'm sure it's full of wisdom, of insight, of maybe even final wishes. You want to know what this great message, this important message is. So you try reading it, you take pictures, you send it to some rabbis. Finally, you Google, you go online, you Google, you know, ancient Jewish writing experts. You find some guy in Tel Aviv, you know, you, you get him the pictures, you send them to there, and the guy is sitting there working to decipher the message. Rabotai, if we would spend that much time to work out a message from our dad, to work out a message from our grandpa, from our great-grandpa, how much more so a message from the Torah, how much more so a message from God himself. God spoke to Nevi'im, but when the Nevi'im stopped existing in our world, God didn't stop speaking to us. He just stopped using words. He started speaking to us in the situations that he sends us. There was a man who uh, lived in an apartment building and every day the bottom floor, when he bought this brand new apartment, he thought that the bottom floor was gonna be rented out to a family and Rabotai, things didn't go the way he hoped. And the bottom floor, instead of being rented out to another family in this new building, it was rented out to a man who had a furniture store. A lovely guy. Anyway, this guy with the furniture store, he starts you know, getting a lot of customers, he starts getting very popular, and eventually he uses up all the space inside the ground floor apartment area for his items, and he starts to expand, as you know they do in Israel, he starts putting out couches outside in front on the sidewalk in front of the apartment building. Every day his workers bring this stuff in and every day they set it out. And this guy had that, he's coming home from shul every morning, he needs to make a, you know, weave his way between a rocking chair, you know, a love seat, and a, you know, a, a, a queen, queen mattress. He's walking like this, like this, between every day he's getting more and more and more angry. Until eventually he says to the man, he says, what are you doing? You're putting this stuff out here, what kind of thing is this? And the guy says, listen, look, you know, it's, pr it's public property over here. No one's stopping me. It's Rishut Arabim. You know, if the police come, can come give me a ticket, they give me a ticket. But, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. And it helps my Parnassah, you know, big smile on his face. Nice guy. The guy goes upstairs and he's grumbling and he's mumbling. And he says to his wife, I can't take it anymore. Every day I see this guy, Bechol Yom, like it says by Haman. And I see Mordechai, Bishar Amelech. He doesn't listen to me. I keep telling him to move the furniture. It's always here. This is not what I paid for. When I bought an apartment, they didn't tell me I'll be living in a retail park. This is ridiculous. I'm going to stop him. I'm going to take him to court. His wife tries to calm him down. The guy says, Hadjit, forget it. Tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to go file a complaint. Anyway, his wife, she can't, she sees, she knows her husband already. Once he gets hot under the collar, once he feels someone got the better of him, like they say in, uh, in French, Hadje. The next morning, he goes to pray, and he comes back from Tefillah, and as he comes back once more from Tefillah with the Tefillin under the arm, and the, the man is smiling at him, the, like every day, the, 
merchant, the guy, the furniture salesman, he's smiling at him. It irritates him to no end, and he thinks to himself, Baruch Hashem, last time I'm going to have to see this. And as he walks past him, the man says, I guess it's not that bad, is it? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. He's just, leave him alone. He goes inside the elevator. He can't wait to go take the guy to court now. He gets upstairs. Everyone, as he opens the door, he sees the whole apartment building is in crowded in his apartment. His cousins came, his, his mother came from down the block. She's sitting there, half of the people are crying, half of the people are laughing. Had I don't know if it's Echa or Megillat Esther. He doesn't understand what's happening. Finally, he finds his wife and he sees his wife, her eyes are red, red circles. She come, he walks in, she comes, she gives him a big hug. He says, what's going on here? What's happening? She says, right after you left to, to Tefillah, she says, our youngest, our baby, the two-year-old, managed to climb up on the counter in the kitchen. He managed to open the window that wasn't locked. He snuck out on the window, and he was skinny enough that the bars that we had on the window, like they have the Soragim, weren't uh, spaced closely enough. He squeezed through the Soragim, and he fell out the window. She says, and I came into the kitchen just as I saw him fall. I ran, I lunged, I tried to grab him, I couldn't. I started screaming, screaming until I realized I better run downstairs to call out Salah. She says, I ran downstairs, half even dressed. I got downstairs with my nightgown on, with my hair in a tickle and a snoot. And then I saw my son is sitting there, jumping on the bed that he had fallen on. Hadda all of a sudden realizes what the comment from the man was. I guess it's not so bad, huh? Borei Olam had put this out there. Could you imagine he have fought? Could you imagine that God's plan, which was there waiting to save this disaster, the guy would have gone all ballistic and made sure to get rid of it? What would have happened? Rabotai, it's so important to have what's called Da Torah. A rabbi you could speak to, to ask, do I run or do I stay? Sometimes a person, they're trying very hard. They've done everything within their power. They've asked themselves all the spiritual questions. What am I supposed to improve from this? How am I supposed to, uh, you know, grow from this situation? And if you've asked yourself that question, sometimes the appropriate thing to do is to stay right where you are. The other day I was, uh, I went somewhere and there was a sign. I took a picture of it. And it says, it is what it is. What a beautiful, uh, I love that mantra. It is what it is. Now, it's funny. I took this picture. I, uh, I uploaded it. And some guy comments on it. Is it? You know, a friend of mine. Is it? And some other guy responds to that. And is like, yeah, you know, you're a rabbi, I disagree with you. Uh, the rabbis teach us for thousands of years, la, la, la. You know, whatever he says. I don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's not what it is. It's not true. It's not true. It just depends on how you understand what those words mean. It is what it is. That's what it means. Maybe you're supposed to change it through tefillah, but maybe you're not. Maybe God's plan is that Yosef gets sold. Maybe God's plan is that he becomes a slave. Maybe God's plan is that he gets thrown into prison. Because from that comes the Yeshua'ah that Yosef has been desperate for all this time. And without it, he wouldn't have it at all. So Rabotai, sometimes you need to be able to run. 
And sometimes you need to be able to stay, to look your sarot, your difficulties, right in the mouth. Give him a big kiss on the forehead and say, Fadal, there's plenty of room for you here. It is what it is. I can deal with the fact that I know that Boreo Olam, how many people just crumpled up into themselves in Corona and all day long, all they did was complain and kvetch about how difficult it is. You know, the big boys with the big boy pants, what do they do? Zemashiyesh. This is the situation. This is how God wants it. Of course we pray and get it away and we do everything we can and we take our medicines and we'll take our vaccine. We'll do everything we can to make it go away. But once we've done our Ishtadlut, there's a certain level of maturity that requires an honest and realistic acceptance of the masav, of the situation that I'm in. It is what it is. And as they used to have a phrase in the army of the state of Israel, they used to say when they were under-equipped and they were under-armed, they didn't have everything that they needed. You know what they used to say? Zeh This is what it is. This is what we have. But the best part was the second part of that phrase in the army. They'd say, and with this we go to war. These are the weapons we have. These are the small opportunities that we have to make our, ourselves. This, and with this we'll fight. We'll use this. This is our platform. This is our stage. How many people suffer, not from their situation, but from the lack of their ability to accept their situation and to make the best of the place that they are in. Rabotai, may God bless us always to be able to accept our situation, our realities, to have the guidance of Da'at Torah to tell us when to cut and when to run and when to stay. And Be'ezrat Hashem will be able to uh, get the best out of every situation that life throws us. Baruch Amen.